offline sales. Um, so today we're going to dig into his background and figure out how you can take some of what he has done and apply it to your life. I'm thrilled to welcome Cheyenne Cheyenne. Cheyenne, thanks for taking the time out. Hi, thanks for having me on. Of course. So, so you, you know, I, I, you in the world of e-commerce, you know, you, uh, a lot of people know who you are, Shane. Um, you know, you've been on the Adam Carolla podcast. You, if you people go to your website, you've been featured on every regular traditional news outlet from Chicago Tribune to everywhere. So, but if people are not familiar who you are, can you take a minute to give the audience a little bit of background of of who you are, and then we'll get into what you've done and how how you did it. Sure. Yeah. Amazing. So I started my first company when I was 15 years old, left home at a very young age, got involved in the electronic music scene, the rave scene, the dance culture at that time. And somehow by hook or by crook, I managed to create a revolutionary pill that became the rave natural drug of choice. It was completely legal. I got it through a very unusual system of distribution, and I used lessons that I had learned from a mentor in sales and influence to grow the company from negative, from literally nothing, me sleeping on the beach in an abandoned buildings, to over a billion dollars in revenue. And it's funny because I tell the story of to to demonstrate how naive I was in those days. I was a teenager, and I went into my office. This was months before I was literally sleeping on the beach, sleeping in abandoned houses and, and whatnot. And a few months later, I had 200 employees and I was in my office in Venice Beach. And I remember walking into my office and my secretary at the time, we had secretaries back in the 90s still. Uh, she broke the news to me that CNN wanted to have me on. Sam Donaldson of Nightline was on his way and we had broken over a billion dollars in revenue, pre-internet, pre-social media, pre-Facebook. And in that moment, I had this aha, kind of holy smokes thought that holy crap, I don't know how much a billion dollars is. We've made a billion dollars, <laughs> but I have no idea how much a billion dollars is. And I had a, a moment of panic, and then everybody reassured me, look, they're not going to ask you that. You'll have time to look it up before. They just want this long hair kid who is really making a huge impact in the culture at the time. And from there on out, it was a, it was a wild ride of, of growing this company past you know, even the billion-dollar mark in those days. It's interesting, you know, when when people think of starting a business, they think of, you know, the product first in a lot of ways and the market second. And, you know, sometimes, you know, having an idea, having a product that may have a product market fit, right, or may not, right, but but having enough naivete to say, okay, this is good, let me start this, is in a lot of ways magic. Because because I think today, knowing what you know now, if if you go back to your 15-year-old self and you know all the regulatory hurdles, you know all the you know challenges of building a large company, you probably would have said, I, I can't do it. I, I, I have no idea where to start, right? But but you were dumb enough in the beginning to just go, look, I believe, I believe, right? And then you go out and do it. And 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 so uh, you know, talk a little bit about that because you know that in a lot of ways gets in the way for a lot of people. They have this idea, whether it's a product or a service, 
Um, they don't exactly know how to scale it. And once, and then they get some coaching, they watch, you know, they learn a few things and they realize, holy crap, there's a lot of pieces involved in this and it shuts them down. They're like, okay, too much, too hard. You know? So, yeah. you know, there, there's some magic in being naive. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I tell people this often that when you're young, you have something, even though you think you have nothing, you have something that other people might not. You know, now I am in my 40s. I'm 46. I've got a kid. I own real estate. You know, I'm I'm at a place in my life where I'm very comfortable. And and while I do have the wisdom that comes with being the ripe old age of 46, I no longer have that hunger that I had when I'm in my 20s. My life is pretty good. I've traveled all over the world, private yachts, private planes, houses all over the place. I've done all that stuff. And I've become accustomed to a certain level of life. And so the risks that I take at this stage in my life are far more calculated. When I was young and I started Herbal Ecstasy, which was the name of the product in those days, I was not knowledgeable about the fact that I could fail. It completely didn't occur to me that not only could I fail, but that the stuff that I was doing was highly improbable that it would succeed. But you know what? I was relentless and I had grit and I had hunger. And I remember going out there actually to make sales when I would be going uh, virtually door to door, you know, the way I started distributing herbal ecstasy was I basically made it in a, I had a girlfriend at the time. I made it in her kitchen and like literally making these pills in the bathtub. And I walked up to the drug dealers. The supply of drugs had dried up um, because at that time, everybody was taking this drug called ecstasy, Molly, MDMA. It was, it was a big popular drug in the nineties. I don't know if people still do it. And the supply had dried out because it was a very complex drug to manufacture and there weren't that many people who knew how to do it. And the drug dealers were very unhappy because the supply of their main product had dried up. So I would walk into the clubs and walk up to the drug dealers and be like, dude, I got something for you. I know this is going to sound crazy. It's not illegal. You'll be able to sell it. You'll still be a drug dealer. You'll just be a legal one. And I went from one guy to two guys to 10 guys. But the story that I'm telling here is an interesting one. And that's that I would not eat until I made the sale. Until I walked in and walked out with $10,000 cash, which was my minimum in those days. If I'm going to walk up to somebody and sell them some pills, I'm going to walk out with $10,000 cash. I would not eat until I made a sale. I would go in hungry, literally hungry. And even though in those days, once the company got going a little bit, I had plenty of money to eat and do all those things that I wanted to do. That was not the case before. I did have a, a period of time where I was eating hot dog, uh, hot dog buns with relish because you could get them at the hot dog stands for free. And I was living off that stuff. I was eating relish, ketchup, whatever, the condiments because they're free. And it was fine. But when I, when I started doing these sales, I would keep myself literally hungry. And then when I got salespeople working under me, I tried that. Did not work so well with the salespeople. <laughs> and I, I learned that very quickly that you do need to feed your salespeople before you send them out into, into the battlefield. It's, it's a very unique quality and trait to be disciplined. And I, I, I wonder, it would be interesting to see what that would look like in your business, in real estate, 
and I'm a I'm a big student of real estate, particularly cash flow positive real estate. I teach it to my students. I encourage everybody to make that one area of the foundation. You I mean you know as a real estate agent that obviously one of the big drivers of wealth in this country is the real estate ladder and people climbing the real estate ladder. So it would be interesting to see what it would be like if agents and brokers did not get to go home and eat until they made a sale. Well, yeah. So let's dig into that a little bit because I think, you know, having enough grit, I mean, I think this, I think, I think most people, most entrepreneurs, right? Forget real estate agents. This is just entrepreneurs, right? They, they, the thing that you got to right? private yachts and airplanes and houses all over the place. This is the vision that people have, right? The, the steps to achieving that vision and the pain necessary and the grit, as you said, necessary to achieve that vision is the thing that most people lack, right? They, they, they just don't have that. And I, and I, I'm curious for you, you know, your grit, your drive, you know, is that something that was innate innate with you from early on? Or like, did you, this is, this is a better question, Shane. When you were 15 and you had this aha moment for this completely legal drug that might replace ecstasy, right? What was your vision? Was it, you know, because having a minimum of 10 grand at 15, like 15, when you're 15, 10 grand is a boatload of money. How do you right. not just take the 10 grand, right? And then, and then go to a bunch of raves in Europe, right? Like, and just, and just live that lifestyle, right? What was in you that said, okay, right, I'm going to take the 10 grand and I'm not going to consume it, but I'm going to reinvest it. That's a really so was, great, yeah. Go ahead, sorry to interrupt. No, no, that was it. Yeah, you were gonna go. Yeah, no, it's a it's a great question, and I'll tell you, it's interesting. You know, I've got a, a book coming out, not to plug it too much, but it's called Billion: How I Became King of the Throw Pill Cult, and it talks about my journey in, into starting at nothing, leaving home at fifteen, being an Iranian immigrant, and turning the company into this billion-dollar supplement company in the '90s. And you know, the interesting part about what you're saying is that you have to realize that I came from Iran, the third world. I was a scrappy kid, five years old. I would leave home. We would just leave out the front door. Iran, by the way, one of the safest places in the world, especially mm. for kids. Most people don't think that. You think of war and, and bombs and stuff like that. It's not like that at all. It is super safe. Kids can walk the streets, something that we can't do now in a neighborhood where homes are going for four or five million dollars now right. In, right. in California's west side. In Iran, it's fine. It's perfectly fine for kids to go out. So five years old, you start having your gang. You know, you go out with your buddies, you hang out, and you come home in time for dinner. You know, you go to grandma's house cousin's house who knows you know you're you're at someone's house and you always end up you know uh, uh strolling home at some stage so i came from that i came from this this culture that was very loving very generous uh, but also very scrappy you didn't have people who would tell you hey you know, oh, you know, somebody, I, I wouldn't come running home to mommy saying somebody punched me. If I did that, everybody would be like, what, what'd you do? Like you didn't punch him back. So we migrated to the United States in the 1980s, 1979, actually, uh, the fall of the Shah, the Iranian revolution turns out that Americans didn't love Iranians as much as we loved ourselves. And also turns out that being an Iranian kid who didn't speak English during Iran-Contra in an affluent West Side community, while we were poor and didn't have any money, also didn't buy a lot of friends. So I had a chip on my shoulder. 
I would get the shit kicked out of me every day in school. And I would look around me. You know, my parents managed to buy a house in a neighborhood that was up and coming at that time. And it was a it's a it's a funny story because, you know, there was a Hare Krishna community living in this property. And it was the only property my folks could afford. And the agent told them, hey, the owners will let you have this property for cheap, like half of the market value. But we can't evict these people like one of the guys, you know, his uncle is a cop in the force and, you know, they've been trying to evict them forever. They can't leave. They're literally camping in the, you know, in the acre of backyard that you have. You got to deal with them. And over time, you know, I, I saw my folks, you know, bringing them tea, bringing them food. You know, everybody had tried to kick them out, doing all kinds of things. Some dude brought an exterminated. All kinds of these people wouldn't move. And my parents, just with kindness over time, just brought them food, just were nothing but kind to them. And one day the guy came up to my dad and was like, hey, man, you know, you guys aren't like these other people that have been, you know, messing with us. What can we do for you? My dad said, look, you know, we're, we're starting our family here. We moved from Iran. We don't have a lot of money. We really need this, you know, the house for our family. So it'd be great if you guys could eventually move along. And they did. And it was a, it was a miracle. They did. And my parents, you know, cleaned up the house. And it, the, the area became super affluent. But my parents, you know, they, they killed them with kindness, so to speak. And as this area became affluent, we were still poor. My dad worked at a dry cleaners. You know, he worked at a pizza shop. And then he managed to get a little dry cleaners. And I saw this wealth around me. I saw wealthy people. And I remember, it's funny, I tell the story. I, I went over to a friend's house whose dad was a famous doctor and he did surgeries for Michael Jackson and all these people. And I remember my buddy being like, I'd be like, okay, so when is your mom coming home to cook for us? You know, because you invited me for dinner. And he goes, oh, buddy, they're, they're gone. They're, they're out. I'm like, well, how do you eat? He's like, well, here, just pick what you want. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What is this? He's like, it's a menu. And I was like, so I can get a hamburger and a pizza, and they'll bring me <laughs> both of those things. And he's like, yeah, but just get whatever you want. You know, my dad gave me his credit card. I was like, whoa, what is that? And he's like, you know, you just you give it to them, and they give you what you want. And it was I was shocked. That was the level that I was living at. And I was, you know, staying over at people's houses and looking at the stuff that they were doing. And I was like, man. I want that. Dad. So I, I went to my parents and I was like, how do you get that? I want that. And my parents are like, well, you know, son, you have to become a doctor. And when you become a doctor, you, you will become, you will get a house and a wife and kids and Mercedes. Life is good. And I said, okay, well, great. I want to do that. How long does that take? <laughs> well, that was, the, that's the big, you know, wah, wah, wah. so you got to go to school for eight years. It's more like 12 years. You got to get into debt for, you know, quarter of a million bucks. Then maybe you'll get credit to, to get your starter house. Then after, you know, 20 years, you're fat and bald. You got no energy. You've been working all day. You got a car that's owned by the bank. You got a house that's owned by the bank. Probably the wife and the kids are owned by the bank. And you're, you're miserable every day waking up because you have no time, no freedom. And I was like, I saw that early on. I had the foresight. I was like, hell no. So what's the alternative? I went out and I found books and I fell in love with the old timey self-help books. I don't know if you remember, do you remember Ogmandino and Napoleon sure. Hill? Who wrote yeah, of course. And I started reading these old timey guys and I, I remember I would get the tapes, the cassettes, cassettes had come out and I would get the cassettes of their voice recordings and these guys would be like, no matter what a man can, can 
think of. He can achieve those things in time. And I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. Why is nobody talking about this? I was like, I want to be like these guys. I want to be like Andrew Carnegie. I want to be super rich. But then I looked and I was like, man, the path for me to that isn't looking very good if I stay here. So I bailed. I was, I was thinking to myself, you know, if I keep doing what I'm doing, I'll keep getting what I've got. This is not a path to getting wealthy quick. I want to be rich. I want to do it quick and I want to make an impact. And I'm ready to, like, like you were saying earlier, I'm ready to burn my ships. And that's what I did at 15 years old. By the time I got to 15, I was like, see y'all later. No friends, no family, nothing. I took off. And I, all I had was my books. And I remember Think and Grow Rich. I remember the pages of the book I had highlighted so many times that the, I, you could barely read the words because I had read the pages so many times. And I had them taped to the back, to the trunk of a 60, it was like a 65 Lincoln Continental. And I was sleeping in the trunk because very spacious trunks in those days. <laughs> and I would sleep in the back of the car. I'd shine my flashlight and I would read the, my favorite pages off the, off the back of the trunk of the car every single night. And when I would wake up, I would go about hustling. I would try to figure out how to make money until I started this company. So I think that kind of gives you a picture of what brings about that kind of grit. So, yeah, right. So, so, well, that's interesting, right? So, so that kind of grit, so you were a little bit scrappy anyway in the beginning, um, but that, that kind of grit was augmented by, you know, Napoleon Hill, right? Napoleon Hill is, you know, figure out what you want, get very clear, create a white hot heated desire around that. And that's all you focus on, right? So, so, so it sounds to me like you were following that path. Now the deal is, right? You real, I think from your story, you also realize that the path, the normal, the typical path of getting to this thing, right? Your the way that your friends were living, and your dad says, "Okay, well, it's twelve years, and you're in debt, and then maybe, and then maybe, maybe." And you wanted a shortcut, right? You knew what you wanted. You said, "Okay, I want to shortcut the process. I'm not going to go to school for twelve years. I'm not going to get in debt for this. I'm gonna. I want it all, and I want it right now." But, 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 and that's what everybody wants, Shaheen, right? Everybody wants that. The problem is there is no clear path, right? Nobody's written a book, a step-by-step book, and gone, "Okay, this is how you go from zero to 10 million in X amount of time. That doesn't exist, right? So, you, so, so people like you are rare, right? And, and you're rare because for a lot of reasons, right? Maybe it was just, you, you stumbled on product market fit early on, but you, you have to have that foundation. You have to have that white hot heated desire and you have to have something internal to say, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to push through every barrier that, 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 that I meet. So, so how do you, Shane, you, you were clear on what you wanted. You wanted to be rich. Was was there anything? Was there any more clarity? Like, let me I, I, for just a few minutes. Was there any more clarity that you had other than I just want to be rich? Yeah, I wanted fast cars, hot girls, <laughs> expensive travel. <laughs> sure, I mean, right, you right. Know, I wanted all that stuff, all that stuff that I could never have. Right. Back when well, I. But so, but okay, but but now we're talking a little bit about mindset because you know the scrappy immigrant story is you know follow all the rules and 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 you know integrate into this culture and do it the way the people do it but again you you seem to reject that notion right you were saying no no no, i'm gonna shortcut the system so 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 did you just stumble on this opportunity and again that's fine if you did but i want to get into how you didn't let this how you didn't destroy yourself along the path along the, the process 
yeah, there's lots of opportunities to destroy myself. So first off, I credit the majority of that to a number of factors. And, you know, again, I write about it in my book, Billion. I'll, I'll send you a copy so you could check that out too. We could talk about it later if you want as well. But for the purpose of this podcast, what I will tell you is that what I did was unique. Why? Okay. A, because I was young and we talked about this, this effect of not having anything to lose, uh, the effect of burning your ships and not having anything to come back to. So when you go out there, you either sink or swim. For me, that was that was an essential mood. Also, what I did was I was at the right place at the right time. Remember what I told you, that the supply of this stuff had dried up and I created an alternative just at the right time. I was at the right place. The dance music scene was taken up. So I was at the right place at the right time. I built a network, network being the most essential thing. There's a guy, uh, Barabosi, who's wrote this book called Success Formula. It's a great book for any of your uh, listeners if they want to check it out, especially if you're in a absolutely check out this book. And he talks about why some people are successful and other people are not. And it's not what you think because we think, okay, well, someone's successful because they are high performers. How many shitty movies have you seen at a movie theater who've made money and you're like, I want my fucking two hours back because that shit was so bad. How many times have you gone to a gallery? And I, I see you've got some cool art in the background, but how many times have you gone <laughs> into a gallery and you've seen some, the kids art is the best. I have it on my wall too. I, I love that stuff. But you go into a gallery and you see some absolutely shit art, sometimes literally, and it's going for millions of dollars. But then another guy who's highly qualified, whose art is far better, whose films are far better, doesn't make any money or very little in comparison. We look at someone like Basquiat, Jean-Michel Basquiat, one of the great artists of our time, fantastic. Art historians all agree that his skill level, what we call his proficiency at doing art, was maybe not as high as some other people during that time that were trained, that had better color theory and all this stuff. His work goes for 50 million. I think one of them just sold for close to 100 million. And other artists in that time that had all those elements, there are, you can buy it for 10 grand, five grand, why? So Barabosi in Success Formula breaks it down to two things. And I, I equate my success to that too. One is performance. So you've got to be competent and be able to perform. But outside of performance, there is one element that trumps all others. Can you guess what it is? Well, it's, I think it's distribution. You can have the best product. I don't want to derail you, but I think you can have the best product. You can have the best hamburger in the world, but if nobody knows about it or only the people in your neighborhood know about it, your, your, your ability to grow is going to be limited to that subset, right? The people who know about it. Same thing with art. You can have a – you know – so I think distribution. That's a great guess. And I talk about distribution in my book a lot, and I talk about it to my students. I think you always start with distribution first. But the answer is a network, building a network. For example, if you and me were going to launch a cryptocurrency, and we say, and by the way, I'm not into cryptocurrencies, but if you and me were going to launch a cryptocurrency, and we went out there today and we said, hey, bud, we're going to launch a cryptocurrency. It's going to be called Super Agent Coin, and, and we launch it. Sure, I, I might have a good network. You might have a good network. We may do okay. We may not. Chances are it'll probably be the same as, as most of the other cryptocurrency launches. Now, if you get Elon Musk to launch the exact same cryptocurrency, even if it's not publicized, if it's Elon Musk, just because of the network that he has, 
you know, if it was someone like Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos, it would you just know that that cryptocurrency would be successful. Why? Because of their network, because people want to get involved. In it. And Basquiat similarly had a very intricate network. How did he get that network? He hustled. He went door to door and he walked up to Andy Warhol and said, buy my art. And he'd show up the next day and said, buy my art, buy my art until Warhol was like, fuck, man, this kid is relentless. Bring him into my bring him into my studio and let's let's see what we could do with him. Same with Bezos. Bezos worked for D.H. Hutton, one of the biggest Jeff Bezos. We're talking about the founder of Amazon, one of the biggest uh, venture firms bringing very inexpensive money, cheap money from Wall Street and putting it into these Silicon Valley companies. And that's why Bezos was so successful more than I think any other reason, because he was one of the smartest guys in the room and he came from a very established network. And then you look at people like Steve Jobs. He worked with, or he worked for, I should say, my friend Nolan Bushnell, the founder of Atari. And and all that network that was going at the time with Hewlett Packard. And so for for me, Part of my success has contributed to networking, and at that time, I made sure that I built a very powerful network. Now, I did have competency. I did have proficiency in, in what I did in building those pills, and that came from just stick-to-itiveness. But I teach this. It's funny. you know. Now I, I teach people how to make recurring revenue on the Amazon stream, uh, you know, selling on the Amazon platform. And one of the things that I that I teach my students is, and and we're pretty selective about who we let into our mastermind, and our group, and our course. But I know when people come in, the ones that play it like it's a roulette table are the ones that aren't going to make it. The ones that are like, all right, I'm going to put my chips on this number, 35, 36, and 12, and they just wait to see if it hits. And if it doesn't, they're like, ah. Uh, yeah, maybe this wasn't meant for me. Maybe this just isn't my thing. And they move on to doing something else. We don't get many of those because we ferret them out ahead of time. The ones that succeed, the ones that I know are going to succeed, don't come at it with that mindset. The mindset they come at it with is, I'm going to drive this nail through this piece of wood. I don't care if it's going to take a hammer, if it takes a rock, a sledgehammer. If I have to nuke that nail into that piece of wood, I am going to do it because that's what I've come here to do. And then what they do is they'll launch a product. They may succeed. They may fail. Usually it's somewhere in the middle where they'll have some success, some failure with it, and they'll tweak it. They'll change it. They'll adjust. And it's those micro adjustments in any business. It's being able to get into the minutia, those details, and perfect those details that makes you a master. I'm a master now at selling on Amazon, not because I've never failed, but because when I fail, I learn from those failures and modify my algorithms to the point where I have as near perfection as I can get. And I'm constantly learning and constantly changing. And in those days, it was the same kind of thing, but more analog. Right. And I think it's always the same kind of thing, right? You, you have to learn and adjust as you go on. Right. And I think the, there's lots of people, I don't want to dwell on this right too much right now, but you know, there's a lot of people who, who do it. They, they, they try something, right. They say, okay, listen, I'm going to try selling on Amazon or I'm going to try getting my, my buying Facebook ads or Google pay-per-click ads or whatever. Right. I'm, I need to get the message out. They try it for three months, two months, whatever. It doesn't work. 
and they just go, I'm going to drop that whole channel, right? I, I'm not going to, um, that channel doesn't work. And the problem is that's not true, right? You, the way you use that channel, the, what you did on that channel didn't work. And, and I, so I think, I think being able to adjust on the fly and recognize the failures, right? The granular failures in an attempt is super important, but I want to go back real quick to your network idea because I, 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 I fully agree with you. And the and the way that the way that you just explained network, in a lot of ways, I would see I could I could term as validation, right? So if you were starting a restaurant, a taco shop, and there happened to be in LA one guy who was the taco shop uh uh reviewer, right? And 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 you know, everybody knew this guy, and everybody's like, if this guy likes these tacos, it's great, right? So you you launch a taco shop, you get that guy on your side, and all of a sudden you're validated, you're real, right? And and I and same thing with art, same thing with anything. And and I think when you build that sort of validation or you go out to build that foundation, I think you have to be this goes back to some of the Napoleon Hill stuff, right? You have to be intent. You have to have a, a, a you have to know what you're doing, you have to know what your goal is, you have to know and 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 the other thing this all sort of ties in is you have to do it one person at a time, right? Like when you were back selling herbal ecstasy, right, you went door to door face to face and you said i'm gonna go and that's gonna be a ten thousand dollar sale here or i'm i'm out so so let me let me think about what that means right so how do we right if if the network is super important which i agree that it is and 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 i'm terming that as validation how what do we do right if if we are an entrepreneur out there and we have product a or service a and and do we do we put in our minds okay i need in this category i need if i sell real estate i need the best probate attorney to validate that i'm i'm good right or i how do you do that right mechanically so the first thing i'll tell you is people that work for you are not part of your network remember that you might be able to utilize them but employees and contractors and people that you hire are not your network so I've got a good friend. We're part of a men's group here in Los Angeles. It's an entertainment media marketing group called Metal International. Fantastic group. And I've been a member from the early days. And the founder, this guy Ken Rutowski, who's a good friend of mine, always says that your, your network is your net worth. And he's a master. Ken is like one of these guys who's like the Oprah Winfrey of connecting and network. And he says, don't network connect is another one of his, his his big lessons that he's he's taught us all so the important thing and i teach this also to my students in amazon mastery is that you should not work in a fucking vacuum the problem with us as entrepreneurs and and i put real estate agents into that category as well because you are not guaranteed that you're going to eat tomorrow unless you sell some shit. So you are, for all effective purposes, an entrepreneur. Of course. And one of the things, and I always have great respect for for real estate agents because I see that. I see their hustle. I see the fact that they're going out and if they don't sell that fucking house, they're not gonna they're not gonna be putting food on the table. So it's it's definitely a, a great profession and a great profession of sales. Is that you cannot work in a vacuum, regardless of what thing that you're in. As entrepreneurs, we have a tendency to think that our problems are our problems and that, you know, we're going to solve them by ourselves. And, you know, men might be a little bit more stubborn, I think, than, than some women. And, you know, we're like, yeah, we're going to solve it. We're going to get it by ourselves and we don't need to stop and ask for directions. But the fact is that seeking mentorship, 
creating a mastermind. So like for my Amazon students, we have a mastermind and we break them up into pods of about 55 to 100 students each. And they're at all different levels of selling on Amazon. So everybody helps everybody else out. I tell people the best way to learn something is to teach it. So if you're more experienced at selling on Amazon, you're going to spend some time helping the guy that's just coming on to the course. If you're just coming on to the course, you're going to learn. And then once you've learned a little bit, you're going to help the other guys, but you start building a network. So masterminds are a great way to do it. Um, taking courses that experts teach, also a great way to do it. Seeking mentorship, another fantastic way. I'm, I'm giving more uh, real life, less general, actionable steps here. I know we were yeah, going a little no, bit no, broader no, on no, things. No, but. no, that, that's great. I mean, digging in and getting deeper is great. So, I mean, I, and look, I would agree with you, Shane, you, you can't work in a vacuum, right? Because the problem is when you're in a vacuum, right? I only have what's in my brain bouncing back and forth. The problem is, right? I may, there's some data I may be missing, right? There's some certain steps that maybe you've gone through that I haven't gone through, right? And I may have, I believe the right approach, but you may have tried that approach and it didn't work. So I think having a group of like-minded people, right? You don't need to be in the same industry, but like-minded, right? Going out, I want to build something and I want to try these platforms is 100% necessary, right? The problem is, right? I think there's a problem, especially with high performance. Once you, once you get to a point and you're really performing and you make some money, right? And then your ego and you, you know, your ego says, I know everything. I know how to do it. You know, you need to have people around you who've been there, tried that. And and also and, and even if they haven't, man, you need other smart people to go, hey, Shaheen, I'm thinking about doing this, right? What are your thoughts? Because you may have a ten thousand data points that that I don't have. So so I, I look, I'm I'm all in on your network idea. I think I think the challenge is is when you talk about your high level I'm in a, a men's group the same way and we have a, a net worth requirement and everybody wants to be in it and we're like, hey, you just don't you haven't got there yet, you know? So so a lot of people want to be in my group or they want to be in your group, but they haven't had enough success to actually validate themselves to 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 spend time right the way we spend time how does someone hear what we're talking about right now and go yes i need to be a part of uh, an entrepreneur group that that is with with some actual real performers like how do they go about even finding one because you know with the group that i'm in right like people may know about it right but but you may not have access to me or to you right so i mean so how does how Let's talk a little bit about the mechanics of your network is your net worth. How do we go out and level up? So there's a lot of groups out there that you can join. So you can start researching on the internet. Metal International is available. It's a men's group. It's open to women once, uh, I think once a month as well. And the idea is men bringing each other up and help supporting each other. But there's also women's groups out there, which I think are really good. And I'm I'm a big fan of that because when you put the kind of the gender stuff aside, you have people helping each other bring each other up. So I think that's great. And I think it's great for women to have time with other strong women to help empower themselves. And same, same, same with men, to be around other men, to bond and to cre create and forge these kinds of relationships. There's also um, groups of you know, uh, mixed uh, groups of people, and that's great too. So there's a couple ways to do it. Um, and I've, I've got an answer for your question too of, of why it's hard for some people to find those kinds of situations. The second thing that you could do is you can create your own mastermind. 
invite right. people over. I know people who do who do dinners and they only invite people they don't know to these dinners and they'll invite five strangers and everybody will cook together or everybody will sit and have sushi or have coffee. So if you don't have a group of like that, you can do it and you can do it without any ulterior motives. So it's an idea of, hey, just going to invite you guys over to dinner so people can get to know each other and you can have just a rough format and the ones that you like and the people who empower you, you can continue to build network with those people. You can also attend events and groups, you know, now that things are opening up after COVID, you can start attending stuff. But I think, you know, the, the main reason why people aren't getting there is, is exactly what you said is that we live in a short attention span type society right now where people are chasing bullshit. People are chasing the shiny thing. You you turn your phone on and every five seconds is like someone being like, look at my Lamborghini, look at my jacuzzi and my – and you're like, dude, you rented that fucking Lamborghini. Like uh. <laughs> you, if, if you – like I know a lot of guys that have houses like that. They, the last fucking thing they want is somebody knowing that they live in that house and have a yacht. And all the guys I know that have yachts don't want anybody. They're not taking Instagram pictures on their yachts. So when the you guys, see people, right? The guys that I know that have airplanes are like, dude, don't tell those guys. I have nobody. Right? They keep it all secret. That's funny. You keep it all secret. Yeah. And, and, and you know, wealth. Wealth. Uh, a friend of mine used to say, "Wealth is better made quietly." And I learned that the second and third time around. Believe me, I learned that after making hundreds of millions of dollars, losing hundreds of millions of dollars, and and having to reinvent myself several times over. I I, I learned that that it's 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 better that way. And and really, you know, the 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 people that have the real wealth, you might not ever even hear about them. They're not out there you know, shining the shiny things or chasing the shiny things because they're too busy making fucking money. And they're they're out there, they're networking with people and you can find these people. You know, you can find a mentor, you can find somebody, you know, in, in real estate, you know, there's tons of developers out there and you will be shocked if you go up to them and you ask them, hey, can I take you for coffee? Can I buy you lunch and just pick your brain? How many of them will say yes? And when you ask them how many people have 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 offered to take you to lunch, how many people have asked for mentorship or guidance? They'll say, you're the first one because this is just not something that people do, mainly because they're afraid of rejection. They're, they think that they have no value to bring, right? I always tell people, see what you can do for them. See what you can do for others first. When you're trying to enter into that kind of relationship, don't come at it with a, what can this person do for me? Right? What do you do? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm not interested in that, and you're gone. See what you can bring them. See what you can help them, and what they can do for you will come naturally. And I think the other thing with that is, you know, relationships. If somebody wants to build a relationship with you, they're like, this guy, man, this, you know, this Cheyenne guy's right, a billion dollars. I, you know, I, I want to get to know this guy. You know, you and I don't have time for everybody who wants to buy us lunch to have lunch. Right. I, 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 you know, but and I don't necessarily have 10 minutes for everybody. But if, but if somebody reaches out to me and says, hey, look, I just have two questions. I have two prepared questions. Here's what they are. You know, can you can I talk to you about these two things? Right. If you if you go number one, if you go in for a small ask, you're more likely to get a positive result. Um, and, and the other thing, too, is, yeah, people want to extract. People want to extract value from others instead of saying, look, what can I do for you? Is it, and, and, you know, and look, we're all wired to say, hey, Shaheen, what can I do for you? You're like, I'm good. I'm good. Nothing. You know, I'll tell you, I've learned when people say, hey, what can I do for you? Right. I try to 
come up with something, right? I try to say, okay, this is what you can do for me. Not that I really need that thing done, but but I'm I'm opening the door to to some sort of a relationship. And I think most successful people are open to that. They're they're good with that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's actually true. You know, a better way if you want to get somebody to become endeared to you or to endear yourself to someone isn't to offer them something. Because what happens when we offer something to someone immediately? One of Caldini, Professor Caldini's principles of influence comes into play. The sixth principle of influence, which is reciprocity. We think, oh shit, this guy's giving me something. He's going to want something back. He's going to have expectations. All my guards go up and boom. Instead, this is a, this is a great life hack. Ask him for something. You want to get to know somebody, call them and ask them for a favor. They might say no. They might say yes. They might say maybe. But if they do it, that builds, like you were just explaining, relationship far better than you giving them something. Because people know. People can smell bullshit. People know that, like, hey, dude, you're not giving me the free toaster for no reason, right? You're giving me the free toaster because you want to sell me the fucking timeshare. Right, right. People know that. You do know, you we're, know that? We're more sophisticated. So do you know the um, there, Ben Franklin is a famous story about Ben Franklin, right? Ben Franklin, there was one guy that that they just did not get along. But Ben needed this guy's help later down the road. He knew that. And so Ben went and apparently this guy like the right. That's the old days. There was some sort of like a shovel. This guy loved his shovel. I don't know. It was something else. But he loved this shovel. And Ben Franklin went over and said, hey can I borrow that shovel? And the guy had to right? the guy ended up lending it to him. But in order for that person to get there, right, they have to manufacture in their heads. Okay. I should lend my shovel to Ben Franklin, right? They have to come up with some reason to do it and they do it. And, and in the story, Ben got the shovel. He never used a shovel. He left it in his, his, his living room. And then a week later, he gave it back to him. And all of a sudden they they actually had a relationship. They actually could work things out. So I, I'm agree. I agree with you, right? If you ask for something, right, this is why I think, you know, if you want some of your time or my time, I think that if you come up and say, ask for something small, right? I have this question shine. Right. I have this issue. Can you give me five minutes? We're all wired to go. OK, I can part with five minutes. I can help you answer this question because no matter who you are, right, every, we all have an ego. We all want to help. We all want to show everybody how smart we are. Right. So I think that's a way to do it. Um, we'll see. You know, the, the problem is we have to start wrapping up. But the, the problem is, Shane, is, you know, people. There's something about the wiring of people that, that, you know, I've had people like you come on the show and they said, Hey, you know, everybody, you know, if you want to come out and shadow me, spend a day at my office, you're more than welcome to do that. Right. And, and there's, there's hundreds of thousands of people that listen and, and I'll come back four months later. I'll go, Hey, Shane, how many people took you up on that? The answer is zero. Right. So, so there's something that people are wired that even though they, they, you invite them for to take advantage of this opportunity they don't and i don't know what that is right this is why i i, I end up talking a lot about mindset because you know is it something that we develop early or is it something that we we gain along the road or or, or what is it that people see an opportunity to connect with somebody successful like you but they just don't take it i don't know if you have any thoughts on that yeah yeah we do and you know i'll, I'll step back one step to what you were saying earlier and i'll, I'll address that point too as we close you know Look, all the stuff that we're talking about is formulaic. There's a formula to persuasion. There's a formula to influence. There's a formula to sales. But there's no formula for being a real fucking person. There's no formula for authenticity. 
And at the end of the day, nothing sells better. I don't care what it is, pills, houses, cars, than just being an authentic person. You ever like walk into like, you know, I don't know, a store or dealership and you see somebody who's just who they are and there's no formula that they're doing. There's nothing that they could teach you about the things that they do and the way that they do it, but they're the best salesperson in their dealership. They are the number one selling whatever it is in, in what they're doing. Why? It's because of authenticity. We smell that. We sense that. To answer your, your latter question, if you're giving something to someone in that, in that way and it's a big promise, people get triggered by that reciprocity. So they're thinking, holy fuck, he wants, he's going to give me this big thing. He's going to want something. And even if he doesn't, I know that I have that trigger where I have to give him something back. If, funny enough, you know, I use this example. So after the herbal ecstasy company, I, I invented what was modern vaporization. I, I figured, hey, people have been smoking for thousands of years, digital vaporization, I should say. And you know, you create smoke, tar, carbon monoxide, all these carcinogenic elements. There's got to be a better way to do it. Someone must have done this. No one's done it. I'm going to figure out a way to create healthier smoking. So I invented this device and it started the size of a ketchup bottle and it got smaller and smaller to the point where it got to a cigar. And then I sold that company. It went public. Oh, and it wow. was the beginning of all the vape vaporizer kind of, kind of technology. And the, the, interesting thing that i learned in those in those days was that we did this trade show okay so I'll, I'll tell you the story real quick so we did this trade fair you know this trade show and i thought okay this was before legalization of cannabis and it was a cannabis trade show so i was like people who are you know doing cannabis they're gonna love this thing right this is gonna be great this is gonna be the be all end all like we're gonna we're gonna make a million bucks and so we did the show and people would come up to our booth and they'd be like, what is that thing? And I'd be like, dude, you can like put any herb in there and enjoy the benefits without smoked tar and carbon monoxide. They'd be like, they'd be gone before I'd finish my last sentence because they didn't care. They just wanted to get high. They just were like, you know, they just wanted weed. Like that's all they cared about. <laughs> and after a day, I was like, all right, this is a shit idea. And, and by the way, we were making crazy money in those days with these, with these vapors, I was making them for 20 bucks, 40 bucks. We were the only ones, imagine being the only vape in the market. We were making millions and we were selling them for $400 and it was the size of a ketchup bottle. It was the only way that you could smoke without smoking. We didn't have the, you know, the little, uh, any of those little vapes that, that they have now. And so I sent one of my employees to the car and I said, look, just go get whatever I have. I had a little film production company. He's like, all you got is DVDs and books and stuff and t-shirts. I was like, just bring everything. And he was like, why? They're not related to the show. I was like, just bring everything. So he brought them up and we piled these boxes up. And as people started walking to our booth, I stopped telling them about what we do and st stopped trying to sell them anything. And what I did is I told my staff, I myself, I said, just give them free stuff. So one guy came by and I'm like, hey, you look like a medium. He said, what? I said, you look like a medium. He said, medium? I said, yeah, yeah, here. Here's a, here's a uh, organic cotton t-shirt and it had like a film thing on it. And he was like, oh, dope. And he like comes up to the booth and he's like, well, what do you do? And so I start telling him, I'm like, you know, we, we make these vaporizer things, but don't worry about that. That's not important. He's like, well, how much are they? And I was like, well, you know, they're like three, $400. He's like, could I use it for weed? We'd be like, 
we don't tell you you can, but you can if you want to. Be like, all right, I'll take two. We were like, wow. We sold out that day by doing just that, by, by just giving people things because they felt so obligated to come to get to know us. They felt so obligated just because we're giving them the stupid T-shirt or a DVD or a book at that in those days. You know, they, they just felt so obligated that they were like, oh, and these were meaningful things. We weren't just giving them fucking candy or something, right? That's right, the, the right. stupidest thing, thinking just because you're going to get someone key a Coke here. Yeah, yeah. keychain or some shit. They're like, you know, pen, right? It's like, but we were giving them something, something meaningful that nobody else was doing, and we sold out of these things that otherwise it would have been, you know, a complete loss. So it's 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 reciprocity. It's really powerful. You know, Caldini, have you have you read Influence? Uh, Caldini, Professor Caldini's book. A lo long time ago. Okay, yeah. So he's he, his his more current one called Persuasion. You know, he talks about these areas of influence: social proof, likability, um, you know, sincerity, uh, 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 scarcity. Um, you know, I'm sure I'm missing one or two, but um, you know, when you, when you implement these areas of influence, the sale becomes obvious. And then later on, the last one that he added to this, oh, authority is one of them. Uh, it was was reciprocity, and the reason why is because we are so hardwired to reply to reciprocity. So if you really wanted somebody to take you up on that, the better approach might have been. Um, and not that you care because you're in the mentor position if you know the right student will find you but you know if if you were to do it to to create hurdles for them to attain that and then you'd probably have more people than you knew what to do with shadowing you yeah that's true so we always ask for a book recommendation you've talked a lot about books and and I think there's gonna be a little bit of a weird setup or a different setup than normal you know when when it when it comes to building a successful company and and managing successfully, yeah. um, you know, do you think in the early days as you're building it, where should people focus? Right? Should should people focus on something like mindset, which is which is Napoleon Hill, or should people focus on persuasion, or should people focus on? Do you? This is just an opinion question, right? Do you think people should look at books on the mechanics, right? Like. Uh, uh, the Ultimate Salesman. Have you read that book? Yeah. Uh, Chet, Augmentino. No, 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 uh, no, no. The great, uh, no. That's the greatest salesman. That is the greatest salesman. The Ultimate Sales, uh, Chet Holmes. I could be getting into the, the greatest. I think that's an older book as well, yeah? That's an older book as well. Yeah. But but again, that's that's mechanics, right? The mechanics right. of how you build something. So so for you, in your early days, um, or maybe even after your you had your first success, what do you think is the key to building company and really building a life that's valuable because you know what we can go out and we can make a hundred million dollars and we can have a plane and yachts right and houses all over the world and still be unfulfilled and fundamentally be miserable you know i mean i've experienced this in my life right getting reaching a bunch of success and attaining everything that that my mind could envision and then i'm like now what i, I don't know what to do right yeah. so so where do you think people should focus, right? Like on the mindset, the, the mechanics, or some of the uh, some of the more, you know, something like persuasion or sales? Hey, mindset is super important. Without it, you don't get anywhere. The problem is a lot of the stuff has become highly marketed by a lot of the self-help gurus that are out now. So they want you to think that having passion and drive and mindset is what you need. No, that's not what you need. You need to do the fucking work. You that's need to right. roll up your yes. sleeves and do the fucking work. That's what you do. That's what works. What works is doing the fucking work, getting out there 
and you know, if you're a real estate agent, knocking on fucking doors and you know, meeting people in your neighborhood and building your network and calling the banks and doing whatever those things are that agents and brokers do, but it's just doing the work. There's nothing more effective than doing that. Now, outside of that, yes, you need to read books and watch videos and speak to people and learn and get a mentor, get into a mastermind group and what you do, and preferably have time to do things that you enjoy that are unrelated to the work that you do. That's a powerful thing as well. You know, creating these masterminds, creating this, this network, and you know, especially if you're 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 a family guy, you've got a family life or a family girl, you've got all these things. There's a time where the brain needs to process. So it's it's really important where you're doing something at, at least at some time during the, the every day that is unrelated to anything having to do with what's bringing you money. Because what that does is it gives you bandwidth back, it lets the brain relax, and it lets all that amazing creativity come out about how you're going to make money. And making money is really an art, much more than a science. Making money is something that like you say, yeah, you can make $100 million, you can have a yacht, and you can be unhappy. It's a lot easier to be happy when you have money, first and that's foremost. True. That's true. Um, that believe true. me, I've, I've been both places. And who, who said the guy, the, uh, the, the person that said, you know, having money isn't fun, just didn't know how to shop? Or, or my old mentor who used to say, uh, the guy that said that uh, money is the root of all evil didn't have any. Right. Uh, two, two, two really great quotes. You know, it's just a lot easier to be happy when you're when you're not uh, when you're not poor and you're not uh, broke. But you, look at, at the at at the end of the day, I think you do have to study people that have done what you want to do and to learn from them. And that's the amazing thing with books, right? A guy could spend his whole lifetime writing a book. And for 20 bucks, you can pick up this book and learn everything this person's done. And, you know, I see you've got a lot of books behind you as well. So, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, but yeah and I was just saying, and, and this guy, you can buy this book for 20 bucks. And this guy, like, I know people that have gone out and, and they do make $100 million a year. And these guys slave and slave for years, for two and three years, trying to condense it, trying to, to, to create a narrative and write a book. And all of a sudden, I can get all that wisdom for 20 bucks, right? That, that's amazing. And I, I think just... One of the things when it, that I think is super important that you've touched on multiple times here, you know, you were talking about network and, and mastermind groups. You know, I, I think that there's a ton of value if if I if I'm in a real estate, um, if I could get into a network like yours, a mastermind like yours that is focused on media. You know, right? If I can cross pollinate industries and what you do and what this guy does i think that's where the magic comes from because you know there's your neural pathways i think you need to expand your neural pathways instead of just thinking real estate real estate real estate or you know media 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 if it's if it's you know if you're talking about film and television or or, or music so i think there's a lot of magic in that i think everybody should go shane go buy your book billion um where can people find out more about you yeah, great. So for you know any listeners or viewers of Super Agents Live, I, I do have a one-hour Amazon course. It's normally 200 bucks. I'll offer it to all your people for free in case any of you guys want to start Amazon businesses and learn how to create recurring revenue as an adjunct to your, your normal career. We talk about foundational 
foundational thinking and foundational wealth, which is really what everybody should be doing. The four-legged table, building cash flow positive real estate, having your career that's going to be bringing in the regular money, having some money in the markets, and then having an e-commerce business, preferably an Amazon business, which is very similar adjacent to the real estate market in a crazy bubble right now. So they're they're toe-to-toe. And if people want to do that, you can go to fbasellercourse.com or reach out to me on shaheenshan.com. I'm sure we'll include it in the show notes. That's for Amazon Mastery. We also have a, a podcast for anybody that's interested called Hack and Grow Rich. It's free on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere podcasts are found. Check out Hack and Grow Rich. Make sure to like and subscribe to our channel. And for anybody interested in the book, it'll be released in the next week. It's called Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pill Cult. And you can get the first chapter, the audio chapter for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere where podcasts are found. Yeah, I think it's great. And, I, and I'll just I just want to say that I think, you know, I, I even looked at Amazon businesses because I there is, you know, the people people get into the real estate world because many times it's a second career, right? They go through their teacher, they raise their kids and they're like, oh, I have time to do this. And I think that the, 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 the time freedom that you, people envision with real estate, you can also easily get on Amazon. I have a friend in, in that men's group. Uh, he, he nets about a million bucks. And selling on Amazon, and I've dug into like, what are you doing? There's nothing magical there at all. Yeah. It's it, it is formulaic, and uh, so anyhow, I, I everybody should go watch that. Hey, Shane, thank you so much. I again, I appreciate your time. Let's stay in touch. Really appreciate the time. Thanks for having me. On. Thanks, man. See you, bud.